Well, um, we again are on our journey towards the end, actually, the life and the ministry of Jesus. And we enter into that time period now where we're going to spend a couple weeks just studying um, end times things, you know, our, our eschatology, as it were, just a study. So if you are visiting, I heard Juan's announcement about visitors and all, um, you're going to think, wow, this, this is a weird church. Um, it's just where we find ourselves studying through the scriptures, where we might be weird, though. Uh, a little odd, but uh, oddballs for the Lord. But um, with all that being said, would you please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. Uh, a lot of people like to shy away from this subject of prophecy and end times um, messages and the study of the eschatology. But, um, and I, and I, I think the reason is because it takes time. It takes time. You know, you have to be diligent. You have to make sure you're listening to the, the right teachers. You're reading the right books because there is a lot of weird stuff out there today. Um, a lot of young people want to shy away from it, and I get that. When you're, when you're 17, 18, looking f- towards the future, last thing you want to start thinking about, it's the end of the world as we know it, you know. So I remember a young lady coming saying, Hi, um, man, I, I do, I want the Lord to come back, but I just want to experience getting married and raising a f- family. And I went, it's Come, Lord Jesus, you know. I'm not waiting for you to get married and have kids. Um, but I get, I get it. I get it, though. Uh, it's one of my favorite subjects, if you don't know by now. I, I just love studying about, you know, um, the tribulation. I know that sounds kind of weird, but I love it because I know we're not going to be here as his bride. I love studying about the millennial reign of Jesus and what it's going to be like to rule and to reign with him as his bride and to think about at the end of that to see a new heaven and a new earth. You know, there's more in in the Bible about the the, um, last days than there is actually about hell or our salvation, you know, when you study it and lay it out. But uh, we we got as far as verse 8 last week. So if you'll turn there, Matthew 24, verse 8. Uh, I believe that's where we're going to we're going to pick it up. But let, let's just read part a part of verse or part of me, chapter 24. And of course, we'll stand and read and, and pray together. But starting with verse eight, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then. Shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be believed. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. When ye therefore shall see... The abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet or Daniel, the prophet stand in the holy place. Please underline this part. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him which is 
come, not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to, to take his clothes or his cloak. And woe to them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days nursing moms. But pray that your flight be not in the winter, neither on a Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation such as, as was not since the beginning of the world to this nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should, should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, um, those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christ, false prophets, and shall show forth signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say to you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chamber, believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shines even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Let's stand together and pray. Father, thank you so much. Again, just the desire to be in your word and to to understand it. Lord, you said the person who reads it, let him understand it, Lord. So many exhortations throughout the Gospels about people not understanding. Lord, you challenged the, uh, even the Pharisees. Have you never read? Lord, I know you have challenged all of our hearts here this morning to be Bereans of the Scriptures, to be students, to be disciples, followers. And so again, again, Lord, I don't mean to be redundant, but... Thank you. It's a privilege, Lord, to have this desire in our hearts to be students of your scriptures. We love you, Lord, and again ask that your Holy Spirit would be our chief instructor. We love you and we ask it in Jesus' name and everyone said together, amen and amen. The beginning of sorrows. You've noticed eight but all these are the beginning of sorrows we studied the first eight verses and again because of time i don't want to go back please feel free to go to our website you can always look at the prior um, uh, bible studies and sunday services and actually wednesdays as well you can kind of listen to them before you come you know Uh, wednesday we are going through the book of daniel which I just find interesting. That's how we find ourselves studying Daniel and studying um, Matthew chapter 24 and 25. Um, but uh, these are the beginning of sorrows. You know, someone uh, once said that the seven years of tribulation is the great tribulation. Well, I kind of understand why they think that. But actually, the great tribulation is the last three and a half years of that block of time, a dispensation of time that we call the tribulation period. The first three and a half, the 1,260 days, Babylonian calendar, Daniel chapter 7, but the first three and a half years, well, they're gonna, it's gonna be a time period of just sheer deception. Great deception. And then the following three and a half, 
will be um, known as the Great Tribulation. And that's where we see the seals being broke open. That's where we see the, the trumpets being That's where we see the bowls of God's judgment being poured out. And again, throughout this study today, this morning, you're going to hear me mentioning this over and over and over. Why? I want it in your cranium. I want it in your brains. I want you to know this so that if someone would say, hey, October 14th and gives you a date, the Lord's going to come back. You're going to be able to say nonsense. And you'll be able to say why it's nonsense. Or the Christian is going through the tribulation church along with the world. Nonsense. And this is why we say it's nonsense. Okay, gang? So that's why sometimes I'm a little repetitive. You know, the more you say it, even Paul the Apostle said to the church in Antioch, I say this again for your remembrance. I want you to, you know, and he keep repeating the same thing. So, okay. Um. We, we, what we saw in the beginning um, is a time of peace and safety, but then the Bible says sudden destruction. The first three and a half, sudden destruction. The idea of these are the beginning of the sorrows, it's the same idea. In fact, if you're reading out of one of those nearly inspired versions, <laughs> never mind, sorry, the NIV, uh, it, it would use the word birth pains, and they're correct there. That's exactly what the Greek word means. It literally means that this is the beginning of things that are happening frequency and in, and in intensity. In other words, it's increasing. The frequency it's like a, a, a mom beginning to give birth. You know, at first she, she starts to feel those, const, those contractions, you know, and possibly the water breaks, you know, and you, and you call the doctor, oh, make your way to the hospital, you know, and you just feel that little contraction happening. And old husbands, you know, he went through his, his training, you know, and he goes, breathe, honey. And you're going, thank you, dear. But towards the end, breathe, honey. You know, the frequency, you know, it just, they start to come on. And man, I went through that five times with Irma. God bless you ladies. You know, but, it, but then the intensity and how, and the pain of it. And that's what it's going to be like in the last days. We're, we're starting to even see that. In fact, one of the, the Greek word literally uh, where we get the word tachometer comes from the same word. Things are just. Revving up, man. And if you're a motor, old motorhead, you understand those tachometers. Once it hits the red line, you better let it loose. Something's going to blow. And that's exactly what's going to happen towards the end of the days. People are saying, these are the signs of the times. And I would not argue with you. You know, as far as the coronavirus, come on, that's got to be a little alarming to some of us, right? And uh, some of the other things that we see. But, folks, these are just precursors of, of what's coming about. This is just sort of like a prelude, an introduction. You know, we think it could it get any worse. It's going to get a lot worse. And I say that with a lot of soberness. You know, I don't just start. I'm not one of these dooms and they get hurry. You know, you just see the mountain just, you know, and I don't know. The loss of life still troubles me even today. You know, and the lawlessness and what we see and just being campaigned through the media. You know, it's it's my antennas are going up. But again, this is something um, that is just a precursor. But it talks about the seven, you know, the seven seals being loose. 
And then, of course, in the, after the seals, well, they're going to experience the trumpets, seven trumpets. And then um, at the end, seven bowls. These are sort of like waves of God's judgments. The, um, f- the seals will be broken open. And the first four, of course, we saw the white horse, the red horse, the black horse, and then the I'll touch on that in just a second. And then we saw the fifth, you know, the fifth seal is where we hear the, the martyrs that are under the altar of God crying out to God, when are you going to, you know, take vengeance out on those who destroyed us? And then, of course, we'll see the sixth that's introducing the seventh, but be that as may. After that seventh bowl, um, we're going to see the battle of Armageddon. Uh, Harmageddon is the Greek word of the mountain of Megiddo. Been there, touched on that last week, so I'm not going to belabor that. This is an actual place you could visit today if you took a trip to Israel. You can stand right there where, where Elijah took on the prophets of Baal. You can still see the brook right down at the bottom of it. But right in front of you, you just see the valley of Armageddon where God is bringing the armies into that area to fight against Israel. And Israel will stand alone. The United States will not have its back then, her back then. But you will come to their defense and they will stand victorious after the battle there in verse 9 it says then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and you will be hated of all nations for my name's sake listen he's talking to a jewish audience but this, the thing is happening even in our time the church is not well liked today, folks. You know, the church is under persecution, severe persecution in some of our uh, um, Arab nations. And even outside of that, I know there's been time periods in Nepal and in India um, where they've persecuted the church heavily. But again, what he's talking about there is that, that the Jews, again, are going to go through severe persecution. You've got to remember something, too, folks. That at that mark, in the middle of the 1,260 days, and we see what they call abominations of desolation. I'll talk in a second. You know, um, the Antichrist who has been keeping peace up to that time is going to break treaty with Israel. And that's where he's going to say to them, you've got to flee. Don't go to your housetop. I mean, come, don't, when you come down from your housetops, don't go get your cloak. If, woe to the nursing moms. It's a bummer if it happens on the Sabbath day. You see, so again, we're looking through a Jewish lens here. We see a lot of Jewish ideologies and idioms here. So he goes on and he says, Many will be offended and shall betray one another in verse 8. Shall hate one another. Many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. Again, um, uh, deception is going to be the earmark. Deception is going to be in the forefront the first three and a half years. You think the church is being deceived today with behaviors and some of the things that are running through Christendom today, you can't compare to the deception that's going to happen in the first three and a half years. There's this guy, the Antichrist, is going to come on the scene. He is going to, as far as his oratory, the way he would speak to a mass would make Hitler look like a, a kindergarten student. He will deceive the masses, millions of people, just by the way he would talk to them. 
But it, but the point that I want to bring out in verse 11 is shall deceive many. Deception is something that, um, uh, I think we have to be on guard even today with. And, and the only way not to be deceived is to know the real thing. Amen, church? And again, I keep telling you over and over about being Bereans and about being students of the scripture. I love it that we go through the Bible in a year together. Some, well, some of you guys do the year. And I love that. But I think we just got to, especially in the, the day we live, we have to take it up a notch. We can't just think going through the Bible in one year is going to help us suffice to grow. I think we have to really start to look at certain things and study it and to know it. Amen, guys? Um, I actually had a friend who worked uh, in, in, in the banking industry, you know, and she was one of these agents that just uh, would uh, be able to identify um, fake currency, um, you know, the counterfeit. And she said the way they started off their training was that they would put on a conveyor belt all the real bills, like 150s and, and fives, and they would just watch them as they would go by. And every now and then they would throw a counterfeit. And the only way you could go up to the next level uh, would be um, to be able to identify um, a counterfeit bill as it went by. Oh, that one right there is not, that's a counterfeit. And I think that's the way the Lord wants us with the scriptures, that we are so well in tune with what the Bible has to say, that when something comes across that's just fake, phony, we wouldn't fit into this passage and deceive many. Twice in this chapter, verse 5 and also here in verse 11, and deception, they deceived many. And there's a lot of crazy ideas out there today in these last days, I believe, are the last days. And I don't have time to go through all the false teachings that are out there. But another thing that I want to point out to you is who are these people that are being so deceived, though, in our text here? It's not the church. Who are the you in verse 9? If you want to just glance down that, you know, many are going to deceive you and, and stuff like that. Who are they? Well, I know it's not the disciples for four reasons, if you want to jot that down. Number one is in verse 13. They never saw the end of the age. These believers will see the end of the age. The the church will not. You're not going to see the end of the world. You're not going to see Armageddon. You're not going to see the seals, the the trumpets, or even the bowls for that matter. So it can't be his disciples. It's not his disciples because they never saw a worldwide evangelism. They never saw a mass evangelism around the world. You know, number three, they never saw, they were not an eyewitness uh, in verse 15 when it talks about the abominations of desolation. They never saw that. We will never see that. So the you in verse nine is not the disciples, nor is it the church. Number four, they never saw the stars fall. They never saw the sun blacken or the moon refusing to reflect its light. They've never seen that. So it's very safe to say that these are end time believers, people who will believe during the seven years of tribulation and 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 that God is going to um, uh, save more. Now, look what it says in verse not 12, because iniquity shall abound because of sin, just increasing at a rapid rate. 
It says that the love of many will wax cold or old. That's probably why we betray each other. Many will despise each other. Many will turn in their relatives if they refuse to take the mark of the beast, which I'll mention at another study, but that relatives will turn on each other. You know, Cousin Joe doesn't have the mark of the beast. He will either therefore be in prison and most likely be executed, or he'll have to take the mark of the beast, which, by the way, um, um, at that point, he forfeits his right into the kingdom age. Again, there's something else to study. But it says, because of the love, of the iniquity abound, the love of many will wax cold. Can I just make a side point here, by the way? I think that's even true for today. You know, you, 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 know, you, you step out and you begin to just embrace the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. The world starts to get a grip on your life. You're a believer. You're going to be under conviction by the Holy Spirit of God. You start to live a miserable life because God loves you too much to let you stay in that condition. One of the signs that you have fallen from that is that you begin to despise other Christians. Or you find fault with other people. Or you're always tearing or gossiping about other people. You know, listen, let's first John it when we find ourselves in that condition. Let's get to the cross. Let's put it under the blood. Let him wash you and then learn to love one another. That's the final message even John the Beloved gave to the early church. Brothers, learn to love one another. But I have found throughout the course of my ministry, man, sin can just wreak havoc on your heart. But he that shall endure to the end, in verse 13, the same shall be saved. Now listen, he that endures to the end, that the person who is living through the tribulation period, if he can just find a hole to hide in, if he can find a mountain high, uh, high enough to, to hide away from the end, he might make it to the end. No, that's not what he's talking about. The one who gets saved during the tribulation is probably one of your relatives or maybe a friend you had been witnessing to. Or maybe they came across one of these crazy Christians who had the rapture button on their computer. Hey, around, push this button, and then all of a sudden, all these scripture verses pop on, and they read it, and they're going, oh my goodness, he was right. You know, that crazy Jerry, he was right. And then his relatives decide to hang in there to the end, not take the mark of the beast, not worship the Antichrist, and they're trusting in Jesus. They have to make their way through trusting in Jesus. So the the sign that they made it to the end was they trust Jesus, not that they had just endured. That there was a enduring to the end because they believed in that last message that Jesus was coming at, coming back at the end of the seven years. That was the proof. You know, it even says about the believer, if I can just again make a side note here. We don't need proofs that we're saved. You know, we don't. You know, but if you, if, if you, if I come across a tree that has peaches on it, I'm gonna, that's a peach tree. But if I come across a tree that might have the same leaves on it, but there's no fruit on it, I'm going to be guessing what that thing is, right? So you always know the tree by what? The fruits that are on it. There's always going to be something different about your life. Please listen, Christian, and tune in. 
You can't tell me that when a believer comes to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in, the dead person within him is resurrected to life. He has a born-again Christian, but he doesn't have fruit. I can't buy that. I can't buy that on this side of heaven, on this side of eternity. When somebody meets Jesus as his Lord and Savior and he invites the Holy Spirit of God, he will bear forth fruit. He has to. Or he should examine his heart seriously whether if he's really trusting Jesus as his Lord and Savior or not. And, and just for some that might say, well, I know I've trusted him higher. I know I've been born again. But, you know, just, I'm just sort of like not bearing a lot of fruit. Hey, listen, how long does it take a, a, pine, what, a, a pineapple to grow? Three years. Thank you. And you get you only get one. You know, it doesn't matter how many you produce, you know, you even just produce something for crying out loud. You, you listen, the Holy Spirit comes in and the very thing that you experience is life, an abundant life. And some grow faster than others. I get that, man. You know, I, you know, I share this illustration every time I, I you know, that, that I possibly can. But Irma and I, we got, we bought this little kind of farmstead in East Greenwich years ago, 30 or 40 years ago, you know. And so we were raising goats. What a dumb idea that was. We were raising goats. We had a horse, man, homeschooling kids. Irma was wearing denim dresses. I mean, we were like, we were doing the homeschool thing, you know. And, uh, so I said, well, babe, we got to get into some fruit here. And so we read up on these little dwarf things, you know, dwarf fruit trees and and the, the guy said, you know, yeah, sure, here's some peach trees and all. And he goes, but listen, be patient with it. It takes five years to get a peach out of this tree. Not the way I grow. I'll get a peach out of this thing if, if I got to choke it. But I will get a peach out of this thing. And so sure enough, we planted it right outside our house, man. And I fertilized that thing and watered it. And I baby, I talked to it. Somebody said, plants can hear you. So I talked to it, you know, and said, Come on, baby, give me just one sign you're going to... First year went nothing. Second year, nothing. So I'm ready to pull it up by its roots. And, and so the third year, all of a sudden, I looked out there, started screaming with excitement. Arms, it's, there's a fuzzball on our tree. And she came out, man, and we're looking at it. Yeah, people must have thought, look at it. And the next day we went out and they're all on the ground. I said, I can't believe this. Then the following year. The fuzzballs were back. And then now the, these fuzzballs turn into little blossoms. And we're so excited, but we didn't get one peach out of it. Don't you know, f fifth year, we started to have peaches on this thing. And I tell you that illustration because some people, right? and I'm talking to the Christians that are more mature, they just demand like full blown out fruit out of young believers. It's not going to happen. A lot of us, right, even today, you might be here and you're thinking, Harry, I'm that fuzzball. All right, you're just a fuzzball. But let it grow and you will blossom and bloom. But there's always a change in your life. That's my point here. You, you will be changed from inside and you start to see the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in your life. Amen, church? Give me an amen on that one. Right. And it goes on, right? And so... Um, the proof, though, for also for a believer by here, I, I missed my whole point here with that dumb illustration. Um, the point is I'm making it. There's always a change. 
And one of those chains, one of the, you can call it fruit if you want, is patience. We, 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 we begin to become patient. We become patient with one another. You become patient, and I, I'm not into this self-awareness thing, so don't get me wrong, but you be, even become patient with yourself, knowing that you're growing in the knowledge of You become patient with your church. You become patient with your spouses. But sometimes in order for your patient to, patience to grow, you have to go through what? Trials. Tribulations. Paul spells this out in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. Where he says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations produce perseverance or produces patience and perseverance, character, character, hope and on and on, you know. So, you know, to be more like Christ like to be more the way the Lord having those those fruits of the spirit, as it were, sometimes we endure what trials, don't we? A young man came to a preacher once and said to him, an older gentleman preacher, and, he, and this young guy said, Hey, hey, um, preacher, would you pray for me that I'd have more patience? I am so impatient with things, you know. And he, goes, and he looks at him and says, Sure, I will. So he gently put his hand on his shoulder and he says, Lord, I lift this young fellow up to you. And I pray, Father, that, Lord, he will, that you would send hardship and that you will send tribulation and that you will send suffering. And, Lord, don't forget pain. You know, and the guy backed up. Wait a minute, man. You know, I'm just, I want a little bit of patience. That's all, you know. But that's how we do it. That's how we do uh, or God does produce patience in our, he sends hardships. But um, that's what a believer will experience. You know, and again, I said this on uh, Wednesday evening. I, I don't think that we should pray for strong, um, uh, stronger, I'm sorry, that we should pray for lighter loads. But I think what we should pray for is just stronger backs. You know, a lot of people are just looking for the easy way, the easy. The, and I, I don't know about you. I'm talking directly to you Christians. But, uh, you know, I, every now and then I, I experience some real easy times. But a lot of times it's just, you know, just enduring to the end. Amen. Uh, well, anyway, I think that's why the psalmist said in Psalms 23, 4, though I walk through the valley, sometimes we really do have to walk through the valleys. In verse 14, he says, this gospel shall uh, I'm sorry, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in um, all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then um, then shall the the and, you know, I have heard people take this verse and, and I've heard messages and sermons, actually, where um, they, they have this thing is um, if we just would do mass evangelism, um, we can hasten the second coming of the crowd, uh, of the Lord. As if it was up to us, you know, if I really thought that that it, it, it was a matter of m- proclaiming the gospel and mass evangelism, then to have all you guys out on Saturday with Mark. You kidding me? No, no. The, the second coming of, of Christ um, is his scheduling, not ours. Right. Um, you you dying is an appointed time. Right. You can't. Add a day to it or take a day away. It's an appointed time. The rapture of the church is an appointed time. Is it when you're, you remember the disciples saying, Lord, is, are you finally going to 
you know, restore the kingdom now. He goes, it's not for you to know the time or the hour, but it's in your father's hand. So God has the appointed time and the hour. Um, but he's talking about mass evangelism in the end times, the seven years of um, tribulation. Uh, there's going to be a great mess, but there's going to be a great message, you know, and it's going to be the gospel. I'll point that out to you in a second. So how are so going back to people getting saved during the tribulation period? How will they get saved then? Well, let me just give you four ways that we know that um, people are going to get saved. Number one is there's going to be two witnesses in the la- in those seven years of tribulation, and many believe it's going to be Moses and Elijah. And we can't go through the arguments of that. Um, I personally I believe that. Um, something, but they will have supernatural powers. Uh, the Antichrist will defeat them. They will lay in the street for three days dead, and then they're going to be rise again. Every eye is going to see them as they're going up to heaven. That'll stoke, stir some emotions, you know. As, and then because of the two witnesses, 144,000 is going to be affected by those two witnesses. They will be saved. They will be sealed for service. And um, they're going to have a powerful testimony. Now, I don't know if you know a Messianic believer, uh, but man, they have a powerful message. I mean, every time they talk to one of these guys or gals, you know, a, 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 a person finding Jesus as their Messiah. Just imagine 144,000 of them and the impact that they're going to have uh, in in the world. In fact, they are. In fact, it, it, it's going to be innumerable um, uh, how many ge- uh, Gentiles are going to be saved during the tribulation as a result of the 144,000 who, by the way, will be sealed and protected by the Spirit of God and tucked away. But these uh, Gentiles that are saved, you can read in Revelation, where they're under the altar of God. And again, they're being killed for their faith. And then number four would be the um, angels in heaven preaching the gospel. There's going to be an angel circling the world. If you look at verse, no, I'll give you the reference, uh, Revelations 14.6. Let me read it to you. I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth. And to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, that's universal, saying with a loud voice. Can you imagine this? You know, an angel. You fear God, give him glory, you know. For the hour of his judgment has come, worship him that made heaven, earth, sea, and the fountains of the, of the, of the water, you know. Uh, no excuse. There will be no excuse for anyone saying, I didn't hear. The message wasn't proclaimed to me. It'll start off with two witnesses, 44,000, an innumerable amount of Gentiles, and finally these angels going around the globe proclaiming this gospel message. No excuse. Now I say that to say this or to share this with you. There will be nobody even during this dispensation. And by the, by the way, this dispensation is called the dispensation of grace or the dispensation of the church age. No one will have an excuse. This room has an excuse. If I were just to say to you, God loved you so much that he sent his son. He died in your place to take on your sin. And if you would trust him in your heart to save you. If you would make him the Lord of your life, you shall be saved. Just trusting. 
Now, everyone in this room has heard that message, and you are without an excuse. You can give all you want, but it will hold no weight in the eternal. And by the way, that's the message we give our loved ones, our friends. It says in verse 14, again, that this gospel will be preached uh, in all the world for a witness unto the nation. And then shall the end come. Notice verse 15. When you shall see the abominations of desolation spoken by the Daniel, the prophet, stand in place, whosoever, again, I asked you to highlight that earlier, whosoever readeth, let him understand. We are called to be Bereans and students of Scripture and to understand this abomination of desolation. You know, if you go through the book of Daniel, you'll find this phrase three times. You'll find this three times. What is the abomination of desolation? Well, basically, it's when, um, when the taking away of the daily sacrifice, the Jewish daily sacrifice, and then desecrating the temple by placing something abominable in it. Um, I have to give you a little history lesson here, though. Um, if you remember, in Daniel chapter 2 and also Daniel chapter 7, um, Daniel was given the interpretation to Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar had this vision. He saw a great statue. He saw a head of gold. He saw a chest and arms of silver, a belly and thigh of brass, and legs of iron and feet of iron and clay mixed. And what Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar, that these were four different empires. He said, Nebi, you're the golden head. The chest and arms of silver are the Medo-Persian empire. It's coming in. They're going to take. They're going to t- take you over. And then Alexander the Great is going to come. He's going to be the belly and thighs of brass. The two legs will be the Roman Empire, and then the feet and and toes mixed with iron and clay will be the revived Roman Empire. I mean, that's why the critics of the Bible have such a hard time with um, with the book of Daniel because it spells the, that time period out with such accuracy, you know. Later on, um, there's another vision given to Daniel, chapter 7. And in chapter 7, he sees a lion, he sees a bear, he sees a leopard. He says, I see a, a, a great beast, a ferocious beast. And again, and when you look at that, and I believe it's the way God sees the same four different empires, he's going to say, hey, the lion is Nebuchadnezzar. The bear is the Medo-Persian. The leper is going to be Greece. And then the dreadful beast will be the Roman Empire. Now, you, you say, how, why? It's because you, you're to read and understand. Because during the Grecian Empire, Alexander the Great came in with such speed. That's why he's depicted as a leper. He's coming in there with such great speed. In fact, that was his strategy. By the time, you know, his enemy or those he was attacking, before they could even sharpen one sword, he was on top of them, devouring with quick accuracy and speed, you know. I think he was in his 30s. I might be wrong there as far as how old. But he, he was in his room and he was crying depressed crying because there's no one else I can defeat he was laying on his deathbed quite early and and they came in and they said listen you're going to die who's going to take your place and Alexander looked at the powers to be and said the strong so they thought okay it's going to be his four generals 
His four generals would have been Cassandra, Lysimachus, Ptolemy, and then also Seleucid. They're the four different generals underneath Alexander. And I, and I could give you what areas they took, but for time's sake, I, I'm just going to deal with the Seleucid dynasty there. Or the eighth king that appeared in the Seleucid dynasty was a guy by the name of Antiochus. He gave his his uh, he gave himself the name um, Epiphanatus, which um, means Epiphanus, which which really translated into the illustrious one, God uh, made manifest. He believed he was the embodiment of Zeus, and so therefore he turned the Jewish temple as he was um, you know. Uh, taking it over, he turned the Jewish temple into a temple of Zeus. He demanded worship, and around 668 A.D., after killing 80,000 Jews, enslaving 40,000 more, he decides to go into the temple area. He wants to be, he's demanding to be worshipped. He takes a pig, he sacrifices the pig on the altar, the Jewish altar, he takes all the different juices, the blood and the, from the entrails and all, and smears it around the temple, thus desecrating it, which was called at that time the desolation, uh, the abomination that caused desolation, meaning empty. Now, the reason I'm telling you this, a lot of people in their prophetic views think that the abomination of desolation happened back there with Antiochus Epiphany. But it wasn't because Jesus is talking about a future event. So it could be a prelude. What happened with Antiochus, sort of like a, a prelude to or an introduction of what's going to happen in the future. Um, so, the, so the Antichrist, we know, will establish this. Well, will go into the temple. He will desecrate it because he will, according to Revelation, he will demand to be worshipped. And again, when Jesus said, when you see the abomination, which was also spoken by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place. You know, um, for 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul the Apostle put it this way. He opposes, speaking of the Antichrist, he opposes, exalts himself above all that is called God, just like Antiochus, and that is worship. So that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself he is God. So Paul there, again, uh, pointing to uh, a future uh, Antiochus, Antichrist, the one who opposes Christ. But this also tells me for him to do that, there has to be a temple. Well, there's no temple right there presently. If you were to go to the, the mount today, what you would see is, a, is an Arab mosque up there, and it's called the Mosque of Omar. Now, I've been up there a couple the last couple times. You know, I don't, I don't know. that some, There's something that really troubles me up there. It's this writing around that dome, the golden dome, where it says, God will not be getting, nor will he be God. And it's just a slan, slander against God and his son. But be that as it may, I don't, don't normally go up there. But somewhere up there, this Antichrist, in order to establish peace between Jews and Gentiles, they're even trying to figure out where they can make a temple today, you know, if you were to go up there. 
There's a, an institute up there called the Temple Institute of Jerusalem. It's located right on the outside of the old uh, Jewish quarters there. I've been there too. And you can go in there and you can sit for a lecture. And it's a group of people who believe that God has given them the God-given right to reestablish the temple. Every year, some nut is trying to carry a cornerstone and try to get it on the top there. And it's always setting up off a riot between the Arabs and the but they have already instituted the vestments. They have already made the instruments. I've seen them, the furnishing. They've also started training priests. They believe that they have come up with some kind of DNA for the red heifer or something like that. They've also just recently established a new Sanhedrin. And I find that very interesting for other reasons. But um, there's this thing in their minds that they have to have this temple. And so what's going to bring between the Muslims and the Jews is the Antichrist with his deception. He's going to be able to make a dividing wall somewhere up on the on the Temple Mount. They're going to be able to have their mosque up there at the same time have their temple up there. Antichrist is going to come in there right in the middle of the three and a half years. And he is going to desecrate it, the abomination, abomination of desolation, break his peace treaty with Israel and I don't say this as swearing, but hell will break loose. A lot to grab, isn't it? A lot to, um, but anyway, if you notice in verse 16, it says, let them which be in Judea flee to the mountain. Let, uh, let him which is on the housetop not come down or take anything out of his house. You just see the urgency in, in, in the lingo there. You know, it's not going to be time. You're not going to have time to, to you know, plan and, and get things together, you know. Neither let him which is in the back to it to take his clothes. Woe unto them that are with child. It's going to be so difficult to travel with your family to escape what's going to happen. To them that give suck in those days for nursing moms. But pray that your uh, that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath. You see how ge geo um, specific it is. It's talking about Israel. It's talking about Judah. It's talking about Jerusalem. You know, you can almost see that the center of all this is going to be the Middle East. You can see how Jerusalem is so pinpointed in the prophecy, and that the Temple Mount will be ground zero, as it were. You know, and that's why he's saying you've got to flip. It is going to be a time period worse than, in, than any history that we have ever seen. You know, um, it says in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7, Alas, for the great, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is the time of Jacob's trouble for you Bible students. It's an idiom for Israel's trouble. But he shall be saved out of it, speaking again of, of um, those that are Israel eventually. When I read as Zechariah chapter 13, in light of that of uh, Jeremiah chapter 30, it tells us in Zechariah that um, 30, um, uh, two thirds of the people trying to flee will be destroyed and only one third will be um, protected. That's a lot of people, folks. And again, we're talking about the last seven years of, of basically human history. Um, verse 21 says this, For then shall a great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor 
uh, ever shall be. The great tribulation. The second half, uh, three and a half years of tribulation, demarcated by, again, the abomination of desolation. Um, this is during the seals, the trumpets, God's bowl. You know the one thing in my reading, it's just Satan's anger um, towards God and towards the Jews is just fully um, unleashed. There's nothing holding it back. Paul said in he that restrains um, when he is taken out of the way, meaning the Holy Spirit. What he means, what we experience today is the restrained version of wickedness. But during these last three and a half years, everything is just going to be unleashed on the world. And, and again, Satan, man's rebellion will be over the top. Uh, God's supernatural, God's involvement, uh, direct involvement with human affairs. Verse 22 says, oh, by the way, Daniel chapter 12, verse 1 says, There shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. Again, verse 22, I'm just tra- trying to wrap up our section here. Um it says, and except those days be shortened, there shall no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. What's he mean by that? Well, he means 1,260 days. It could have kept going on. I think it's going to be worse than the, the dark age. You know, I think it's going to be worse than all the world wars combined. You know, and I, I don't know why, but recently there's been this heightened awareness of of the Holocaust that's that had taken place. It's going to be worse than that. I, I don't. I think it's going to be so bad. I, I don't think we can fathom. I don't know, even know if our brains could even um, comprehend it if we were really given a full vision of how bad it's going to be in the last seven years. But then again, it says this in closing. Then if any man shall say, look, Christ is here, don't believe it. There's going to rise false Christ and false prophets show great and so much that if it were possible, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I told you before. Wherefore, if they say to you, go into the desert, don't go. That he's in the secret chambers, don't believe it. Why? Because for as the lightning comes out of the east and shines even to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. You know, I'll, I'll cover verse 28 uh, next week, but it's just talking about, you know, that wherever corruption is, judgment, God's judgment is going to be there. Look, I, I know we're running a couple minutes late here. Um, but again, last week, I was mindful to try to stop it a little earlier and just kind of give out a call to anybody. You just in your heart, you just feel like you're just not where you're supposed to be with the Lord. Maybe you're toying around with the world. You know, maybe you're backslidden. I, I don't know. I know what the Bible says about the backslider, which is pretty glorious. It says God loves the backslider, but He wants you to front slide now or forward slide. I want you to come back to you, come back to him because he loves you, you know. But church, are you not blessed knowing that this, that that God, you know, does not judge the righteous with the unrighteous? 
God's judgment will not be poured upon his bride. That would be pretty sick, right? Just think of this logically. Paul the Apostle says, love your wife as Christ loved the church. That's good. So if Christ is going to judge the world, does that mean I can judge my wife? If God's going to pour out a hundred pound hailstones that are on fire upon the world, am I supposed to start throwing hail at my wife? No, it's not logic. He loves his bride. He paid everything he could possibly pay, which means his life, to save her from this judgment. So if you're without Christ today, would you stand with me this morning? Stand with me, please.